Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. Very excited to be with you on this uh, Friday, or I should say the Eve Eve of the conference title games. We have three football games left in, in, in the NFL season. It's kind of depressing, but they're the three biggest football games of the year. Two of them will be played on Sunday between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens and the Detroit Lions and the San Francisco 49ers. Very excited about both. I'll predict both. No no Bryce's bleak bet. And we were putting, we're putting a rule on the show, like uh, no longer from conference championship onto the Super Bowl, no Bryce's bleak bet. Like I, I always say, it's the one game every week. I have no confidence in predicting. That's gone for the season. We'll see you back in week one in 2024 in eight months. That's gone. We are, however, going to do if I were a bet man and my upset of the week because I do have an upset on tap, and I certainly have a game that I'm very confident in predicting who is going to cover and maybe who is not. We'll see what happens. Uh, also going to get into Jared Goff, by the way, the quarterback for the Detroit Lions. Why the narrative is going to have to start shifting if the Lions end up winning this game over the 49ers. I'll get into that. Also, uh, you know, the best soap opera in sports, man, the Dallas Cowboys, they, they never, never, never fail to provide us content. We got some family drama. This is literally turning into like Kardashian stuff. This is reality show stuff going on with the Dallas Cowboys, their family members. And there's one individual to blame. I'll get into that later in the show. Also, also on today's show, uh, why the Falcons, the Atlanta Falcons, absolutely made the correct decision in hiring Raheem, uh, Raheem Morris. I almost said Raheem Mostert, the running back for the for the Dolphins. Raheem Morris over Bill, Bill Belichick. I'll get into that later on today's show. But first, uh, starting carving it up with on a bit of a um, somber note. Uh, as you can see, I am wearing a WNBA hoodie, an orange WNBA hoodie with the white logo. Now, I've worn this show many of times. It's a very comfortable hoodie, by the way. I uh, highly recommend. But I'm wearing it for, first and foremost to honor the late, great Kobe Bean Bryant, who on this day four years ago, along with his daughter and seven others, uh, were lost in a helicopter crash in Calabasas, California. And I tell the story every year. His passing or the day of his passing, it's one of those things where older generations know where where they were when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, generations right before me, I mean, millennials on up remember where they were when 9-11 happened. Um, and this one is sort of, at least for me as, as a Gen Zer, as obviously a massive basketball fan, this this one was, I remember exactly where I was, what I was doing. I, I was literally just laying around as a typical 16-year-old, 16-and-a-half-year-old teenager does, laying in my bed, scrolling Instagram. I remember the Pro Bowl was that day in the NFL. Didn't really care about it that much. That's why the Pro Bowl's out in the NFL. But I'm scrolling my phone, eh, whatever. And I go back up to the top. I refresh my feed. And the first thing across is from a sports account I follow. And I remember which one it was, but it was a screenshot of a TMZ headline. And it said Kobe Bryant among four dead in a helicopter crash. I'm like, huh? Oh, yeah, ain't, ain't no way. That's, that's come on. And it, because part of the context around that is the night prior, LeBron James had just passed Kobe Bryant in the all time scoring list. LeBron had moved past Kobe into the fourth all time spot. Uh, I believe it was the fourth time or the third all time spot, I believe, uh, only behind Kareem Abdul Jabbar and Carl Malone on the all time scoring list. And so uh, LeBron had. Past Kobe Bryant uh, into the third place spot all time. And then the next day, there's reports that Kobe is no longer with us. I'm like, that that can't be true. So I go on the internet. I'm searching Kobe Bryant. 
I even Google Kobe Bryant death, and there's nothing there. And then about 15, 20 minutes later, there's some local, uh, you know, conglomerates around the country that are, or local news stations saying uh, TMZ has reported blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, they're just going by what TMZ saying. They're not, there's no other national source that's reporting this. And I remember then going to the living room and telling my mom, like, TMZ saying that Kobe died. And then we walked to the living room. I remember this as clear as day. We turned the TV on, flipping through the channels, nothing there. Going through all the news stations. Then I go to ESPN, nothing there. They're doing like Pro Bowl coverage. And then the tweet from Woj comes and almost instantaneously, the breaking news uh, flashes across the screen, ESPN. And it's like, you, I mean, the second you see the breaking news, it's like you almost want to throw up in your mouth because it's like, oh my God, it actually, it, oh my God, like, like it's, it, it's almost it, four years later and you still can't really believe that it happened. And then about 30 minutes to an hour later, the news of his daughter and the news of four additional uh, victims because the initial report was four have passed and then it uh, went up to, um, it went up to nine. And so it's like, how do you, how do you process this? How do you make sense of a guy who was 41 years old in the prime of his adult life, seemingly about to become more successful in his post career than he was in his all time legendary 20 year playing career? I mean, in, in the four, in the three and a half years, four and a half years here, or yeah, three and a half years he was retired. Man won an Oscar. Uh, he wrote multiple books. He had a production company. Uh, he was about to, before he, he passed away, about to launch his own uh, sneaker brand, similar to Michael Jordan, and to a lesser degree, the way Steph Curry has done with Under Armour. About to do all these things, body armor, the whole bit, and then just gone. Like, how do you make how do you make sense of that? And the fact of the matter is, you can't. It's it's not something that we understand. Um, I know I have my own personal, I'm sure you, the audience, listening, watching, have your own personal uh, faith or religious convictions. Maybe you don't have any at all, but in our own ways, we had to somehow, some way, try and find a way to process it, make sense of it. And obviously, Kobe's memorial um, was 29 days later at the Staples Center, what used to be called the Staples Center. And I'll never forget that as long as I live where you had all these guest speakers. And I remember I had, had I had had to work on school that day, some homework. And so I was late watching the memorial. And so I tune in. I could be getting this wrong by the time of when it was. It had to have been about 20 to 30 minutes. I, it seemed like I remember Beyonce had a performance that I missed. Um, and I turn on the TV on ESPN. It's Kobe Bryant Memorial. And I see a woman up there talking. And she, at the time, she's talking about about Kobe's daughter Gigi, I'm thinking. I know that's not Vanessa because I, I, I mean, I, I barely ever seen Vanessa. I, I never heard the woman speak before. Didn't know that much about her. And so I'm thinking, is that one of Gigi's coaches or something? Is that? And then she starts using words like, you know, my love, my daughter, my husband. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's Vanessa Bryant is talking right now. After like four weeks after the tragedy, like how she is able to muster up the 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 strength and the courage and and then you process it and you watch the rest of the memorial service Jordan Michael Jordan gave a phenomenal eulogy to Kobe uh Shaq added some humor because that's Shaq and he's the best 
Uh, Sabrina Unescu spoke. Gina Ariema spoke. Uh, Diana Taurasi spoke. I'm probably missing others. Uh, Rob Palenka, I think, spoke. Like, a b- bunch of individuals gave phenomenal tributes to Kobe. But after that, at the next day, I remember talking about my show, and then the next day thinking, you know what? Yeah, that's why Kobe, that's why Kobe chose her to spend the rest of his life with. Because when you consider the type of individual Kobe was, he is, in my view, watching from a distance, I never had the, the fortune of knowing Kobe, but from a distance, I think the most driven, driven individual, one of the most driven individuals in the history of the world. In the history of the world. Phil Jackson might be the greatest basketball head coach ever. Was a coach Michael Jordan, coach Kobe Bryant, two greatest shooting guards ever. Uh, Kobe modeled every aspect of his game to Michael. There, there's videos on YouTube comparing the two's mechanics, and it's almost scary. You're like, I think they cloned Michael Jordan into some guy for the Lakers wearing number 28 or number 24. It's like crazy. And even Phil Jackson said, as hard as Michael worked, and he was famous for his work ethic, Kobe worked harder. Not just at basketball. Uh, he uh, once played a a piece by, it was either Beethoven or Mozart, one of the great composers we've ever had in the history of the world. I forget which one it was. You know, somebody in the audience can more than willing to help me out to play for his wife. And he learned it in like a, a week, two weeks, something crazy. Kobe didn't play the piano, but he learned it. He wrote books. He was a filmmaker. He was a coach. He was a husband. He was a father. Kobe Bryant's life mission, life purpose was to be the absolute, positively, the absolute best he could be at whatever he was doing. Like that in itself, I've talked about it before on past anniversary of his, uh, anniversaries of his passing, is that's the mob of mentality in and of itself right there. Is whatever you're doing, be the absolute best you can possibly be. And work, work hard enough. To be the absolute best you could possibly be. And I'm seeing on my, I'm sure we've all seen on our social media, or maybe those that follow basketball accounts, like looking up and down our sports accounts and seeing like, you know, Kobe Bryant, four year anniversary of his passing. And you're seeing all these motivational quotes and videos and all that. I saw a bunch today, but this one, I think, um, my mom just texted me, by the way, Moonlight Sonata by Beethoven is what Kobe Bryant learned. Thank you, mom. Um, Moonlight Sonata is what he learned to play for his wife. But anyways, I saw this quote today. I don't have the video, but I do have the exact quote. Kobe Bryant was talking to the the great Jim Gray uh, a few uh, years ago, and he was talking about doubt. We all have doubt in our lives. It's human nature. We all have certain insecurities about us, whatever they may be. Everybody does. Even the most confident human being has some insecurity about something. Kobe had a great quote about that. He said, he was talking to Jim Gray. He said, quote, doubt is such a strange thing. There will be times when you succeed and times when you fail. So wasting your time doubting if you'll be successful or not is pointless. Just put one foot in front of the other, control what you can control, and then see what the outcome is. If you win, great. You're going to wake up the next day and do the journey all over again. If you lose, sucks. But you'll have to wake up the next day and do the journey all over again anyway. End quote. That was Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant did not let the results dictate his work ethic. Remember early in his career, I think it was his rookie season, 17, 18 years old for the Lakers. When that was Shaq's first year in LA too, they obviously, Jerry West Lakers had acquired Shaq. And it was the 97 playoffs. Kobe was a, a, literally a kid. He was younger than I am now, and I'm 20. On the road in Utah, elimination game. They, that year, the Jazz made the finals. It was their first finals appearance when they lost to Jordan the first time. And in the elimination game in Utah, 
Kobe not only missed his last three shots, none of them hit the rim. He airballed all three. Didn't let that dictate. On the other side of that coin, the three-peats with Shaq. Didn't let that dictate his work ethic. The, the, the back-to-backs, even after that, the rough years when Shaq was gone, the team wasn't very good. You had kids. Work ethic didn't change. And he had some low lows. Game seven against Phoenix when they blew the 3-1 lead to the Suns. That was a low point for Kobe. Work didn't change. When he got Pau Gasol, got the roster, got the requisite roster to go compete for championships, work didn't change. So much so, it was almost to his own detriment. In 2013, when he tore his Achilles against my Warriors, and that was the last we ever saw of Kobe Bryant as a great, undeniably great basketball player because of how much he'd had to carry the Lakers at that point after Powell got older and, and, and you know, obviously after that you had the Dwight years and all that. That was Kobe. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the obstacles ahead, the work ethic, the approach sometimes changed. The, the, the goals might have changed from time to time. The work didn't. And as long as... Intentions matter. I talk about all the time I show a person's intentions matter as to how we're going to assess a certain situation or assess that person. But if the work's there, sky's the limit. And even if it doesn't work, you tried. You tried. You have, you have the peace of mind. I have an individual I know in my personal life who has been back and forth about whether or not they wanted to try something. And there was a lot of like, ah, second guessing, you know, dipping my toe in the pool, not sure. And the other day, that person pursued it, and they couldn't be happier about pursuing this, this opportunity, this, this goal that they have. And maybe you do pursue said opportunity, said goal, and it doesn't work. But you tried. You have the peace of mind at knowing you gave it your best shot. That was Kobe Bryant. And his legacy. The Mamba mentality isn't going anywhere uh, and won't, I believe, for the, te- for, for the, for the rest of time. And, uh, man, four years later, still doesn't seem real. Still doesn't seem real. And um, we'll miss him. And just to mention everybody else, rest in peace to Peyton Chester, Sarah Chester, Christina Mauser, John Altabelli, Carrie Altabelli, Alyssa Altabelli, Ara Zabayan, Gianna Bryant, and Kobe Bryant. May those nine beautiful souls rest eternally and rest in peace. And Lord knows we will never, ever forget them. Let's go to the comments. Patrick Brown sums it up well. Seeing MJ's face with tears and how much Kobe meant to him. There was a genuine admiration to chasing perfection. Kobe was the remix to MJ. Indeed, he was. He's the closest thing. It's like when we, we talk about LeBron versus MJ. LeBron and MJ. And, and, and I agree. I think those are two absolutely the, the two greatest basketball players ever. Where, whoever you got one or two. Um, but in terms of the, the style of game, Magic's the better comparison for LeBron, and Kobe's the better comparison for MJ. Just in terms of stylistically. Um, like, that's, that's what that, that, that is and what that's been for, uh, for quite some time. And yeah, that's... MJ is not a vulnerable human being. MJ, we know as this stoic, uh, 
almost emotionless stone cold killer. Kobe got a lot of that, obviously, internally, but some of that he modeled after MJ. And to see him get his, to see how much Kobe Bryant, the man, moved, Michael, was, it, it was, aside from Vanessa, that was the OMG takeaway from that service, from that from that memorial service at the Staples Center. It was like, wow. Like, this guy who's, like, rock solid, aloof, pissed off everybody he played with. It, he was so, you know, much that way. Kobe Bryant made Michael Jordan cry. That, like I, I, I want to make sure we all understand that. That's that's that says a lot. Um, says a lot. And yeah, Kobe was the uh, the the remix to MJ. And John Rivera on the comments from the Fan Perspective podcast. Rest in peace, Kobe. No question about it. So I'm, I'm telling you, it's it's like I even get a little kind of emotional thing about it. it it's, uh, yeah, it's it's tough. I swear, y'all, it feel it feels like like that was like the first like major horrible moment on a national and worldwide scale, uh, at least to happen in 2020. And then obviously all the events that follow COVID and uh, what happened with George Floyd and all that. 2020 was something else, man. And uh, never forget Kobe Bryant. None of us will. And his legacy, as well as the legacy of the eight, will live on forever. Uh, it is very difficult to transition to other sports stories uh, after a, a topic like that, but you know, I'll do my best. That's what that's what y'all tune in the show to to hear me do, and that's what I will do my best to do. So there has been a lot of head coach openings, head coach hirings over the last uh, couple of weeks, or really since the regular season ended. We had some recent ones. Um, we had the offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Canales, I believe is his name, getting hired by the Panthers. Like the hire, he worked with Baker Mayfield. I think that that has potential to to work. Brian Cant- Callahan hired by the Titans. I'm fine with it. Don't love it. I still think they should have never fired Brayball. I think it was a horrible organizational decision that will come back to bite them. Uh, but Callahan's a you know smart guy. OC with, with I'm sorry, OC. I think quarterbacks coach, one of the two or both with the Cincinnati Bengals. So. We'll see how that works uh, and see how he's able to develop Will Levis. Jim Harbaugh, obviously the big dominant to fall for the the LA Chargers. I want to talk about Raheem Morris, though. So he was hired by the Atlanta Falcons yesterday after weeks. So the Falcons reportedly interviewed 14 candidates. So they were really, you know, seeing what the process was like. And outside of LA, they were the best job in the market. Yes, they don't have the quarterback, but they have just about everything else, at least from the offensive side of uh, of the field. B. John Robinson, Drake London, Kyle Pitts. Really good offensive line. Uh, even even the the other kid they got, um, his, his name's not coming to, to fruition to, to my mind right now, but they got another backup running back, Algier. Yeah, that's his name, Algier, who's really productive. Like, Atlanta's got some players on the offensive side of the ball. Cordell Patterson, uh, they just need the coach and quarterback. Well, they've got the coach. We'll see if he's able to assemble the staff. And all signs point to them drafting a quarterback, unless they were to go after Fields or somebody else. Uh, only time will tell in that regard. They hire Raheem Morris over Bill Belichick, and I 1,000% agree. For Raheem Morris, let's start with him. So first of all, I'm, I'm never not going to shine light on this. I don't care what anybody says. It's a black man getting a head coaching job in the NFL. And we know that is unfortunately for, you know, the entire existence of the league, not been terribly common. So Raheem Morris getting the job, props to him, shout out to him. Uh, it seems like, we, I mean, we've had three this hiring cycle. Gerard Mayo got the job in New England. Antonio Pierce kept the job, definitely rightfully so. 
in 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 with the Las Vegas Raiders and now Raheem Morris, the former defensive coordinator, by the way, the Rams getting the job with the Atlanta Falcons. And Raheem Morris, you look at his coaching resume, he's been a part of the NFL for the last two decades. Okay. So he was the uh he started in Tampa Bay in 02 as the defensive quality control guy for the Buccaneers and won a Super Bowl with that team as he got he got himself a ring there. Uh then he was promoted to defensive assistant in 03. He was their defensive backs coach from 04 to 05. Then he went to be the defensive coordinator at Kansas State in 06. Uh, from 07 to 08, he came back to Tampa Bay and became the defensive backs coach again. Then became the Buccaneers head coach from 09 to 2011. Uh, took over in Washington as the defensive backs coach from 12 to 14. Went to Atlanta, so where his destination is now, from 15 to 19 as their uh, assistant head coach and pass game coordinator. And at one point in 2020, was their interim head coach. Uh, also coached wide receivers, pass game coordinator. Then went to the Rams the last three years as their defensive coordinator. So this is an accomplished individual. This is somebody who's who's paid his dues in the NFL. Again, started as the as defensive quality control back in Tampa Bay. Before that, if you want to go all the way back to Hofstra in 1998, he was the grad. He was a graduate assistant, and 25 years later, ish years later, has become the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. This is a guy who has respect of the locker room. This is a guy who had one of the better defenses in the league this year. Listen, I get he has Aaron Donald. I understand that. Aaron Donald is, in my view, one of the three greatest defensive players to ever step on a field. Over, over everybody, in my opinion, outside of LT and Prime. I put him just a smidgen over the great uh, Reggie White. And whoever else you want to throw out, Reggie was a monster. Aaron Donald is a freak. Ridiculous. Okay, so he's in my top three all time. Aside from Aaron Donald, though, who is getting up there in age, he was out of his primes, although still productive. There's a bunch of kids on that Rams defense. Some linebackers, defensive backs. And yet the Rams were one of the more productive defenses in the league. They were. Situationally, they were good. They were well-coached. Um, again, we saw that Super Bowl run back in 2021. His first year as the defensive coordinator there, really good. Against the 49ers, Held 49ers scoreless on three straight drives, uh, or two, two, three straight drives to allow the offense to get a rhythm, to get back into that football game. Then you consider the Super Bowl where Cincinnati is is, is getting it going and, and they hit the bomb to T. Higgins to start the second half. Nothing. So that nothing in terms of offensive production from the Bengals. And then listen, I get this that Rams defense at stars. They had Aaron Donald, they had Jalen Ramsey, but End of the day, you see what this defense was now with a bunch of kids, still as productive. So it comes to a team now that's already got a really young, talented defense that he can make better. Um, I think the key for him is bringing a good offensive staff. I could see potentially, again, Eric Bieniemy looks like he's not going to get a job yet again. I'd love him to see him bring Bieniemy in to be the offensive coordinator for a team that is almost assuredly, uh, almost certainly rather going to draft a head coach. I think that works. So from a fit perspective, and again, they, inter they interviewed 14 guys. And once Harbaugh, who's the best candidate on the cycle, once he was gone, they're like, okay, if Mike Vrabel inter is interested in coming here, let's go with Raheem Morris. And that's what they did. But most notably, they went with Raheem Morris over uh, Bill Belichick. And that's notable in a very big way for this reason. According to Charles Robinson, who works for Yahoo Sports, uh, this is very interesting. And this, to me, crystallizes why they went with Raheem Morris over Belichick, who interviewed, interviewed twice with the Falcons. This is from Charles Robinson, YahooSports.com. Quote, a source said meetings with blank, Arthur Blank, the, the owner of the team, crystallized Belichick's continued belief that the full scope of football operations, personnel, and coaching should be under his decision-making umbrella. 
end quote. So translation, Bill wanted the same control in Atlanta that he got in New England. Well, Patriots fans, we've got one here at the Grid Network. His name is Tim Barnard. He's got a great podcast here, Boston Sports Summit. New show. Please check it out. He's a great guy, great content. Ask him, ask any Patriots fan all over America, especially in the, in the New England area. He had some bad drafts. Belichick had some, I mean, he had some clunkers. He had one pro bowler drafted uh, from 2013 to last year in the first round. It was Mac Jones. And let's be honest, Mac Jones deserved to be in the pro bowl that year. Come on now. Uh, it's kind of like a, Everybody gets the Pro Bowl. I mean, Tua got in over Josh Allen. Like, we're like, eh, should he gotten in the Pro Bowl? Really? You sure about that? That's kind of where we're at with Bill Belichick. He's had some horrible drafts over the last decade. If you want to take 2021 out where Mac Jones, a asterisk Pro Bowler, again, let's be honest, from 2012 on, one Pro Bowler drafted in the first round that was Dante Hightower out of Alabama. And Dante ended up having a very good career with the Patriots, won some Super Bowls. Was, was big time for that Super Bowl 49 run and 51 as well. Outside of that, no Pro Bowl was drafted in the first round. Why do you think Tom left? Didn't have the weapons. Yes, the belt, the, the relationship with Belichick uh, dissolved and kind of, you know, the spark went out essentially. But I remember Tom, his last year in New England in 2019, there was a, like, the, 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 the mics caught him in the huddle with his young receivers outside of Edelman, a bunch of no-name guys, him saying, somebody effing get open. Like, even Tom's like, guys, somebody separate. Where did he go after that? Tampa Bay. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. He brought Gronk back. They brought Antonio Brown in. All those guys are great at separating. O.J. Howard was there on the tight end before he got hurt. Guys who could separate consistently. Like, the opposite of what he had in New England. Now, it dissolved to a degree in Tampa, A, because Brady was older, obviously, but also Brady and Bill worked together for so long because they, their minds work very similarly in terms of it's all about football, team first, let's go all in to, to, to winning and doing whatever we have to do to win. Tampa was not always that because Tampa historically just isn't a winning culture. New England has been over the last uh, couple decades. But again, we know this, Belichick without Brady, below average head coach. You know, that's why, I've con that's why I've contended for years that Andy Reid's a better coach than Belichick. Andy Reid's been successful regardless of his quarterback is. But it's now that he's got Mahomes that he's gone to a new level and won Super Bowls and been to six straight AFC title games. It's different. Belichick's got one playoff appearance, and in that game, he lost by 30 to Buffalo. And so it's not just the fact that he hasn't adapted on the field schematically as a coach. It's the fact he can't pick the talent. And evidently, he wants to continue picking the talent. Atlanta said, uh, no, we're good. And by the way, you know, just from a common sense standpoint, Belichick becoming GM means whoever the GM is loses their job. I don't think they're going to love that. Raheem Morris isn't going to be that. Raheem Morris be like, I'm going to focus on the coaching. I'm going to put together staff. I'm sure, listen, I'm sure Raheem Morris, he's a head coach. He's going to be involved in personnel decisions. He's just not going to control them like Belichick would. That, to me, is the difference. That, to me, is why this is a good hire. And, again, we here's what we know. Raheem Morris, defensive guy, Atlanta's defense is going to be really good this year, or this the, next year in 2024. He's going to hire, I assume, a good offensive staff. He's from the McVay tree, so you add that component, maybe bring back some McVay assistance. We'll see. And then they'll draft a quarterback, I assume, unless they go out and trade for Justin Fields. And I think Atlanta's going to be pretty good next year. 
feels like right now, Saints are in cap hell. The Panthers are off. Well, it feels like it's kind of a two-team race for the AFC, the NFC South in 2024 between the Falcons and the team that's won the last three years, the Buccaneers. So should be a fun division race. I'm curious to see who they draft. I'm curious to see what, uh, what, what Raheem Morris does. But bringing him in over Belichick, 1,000% agree. 100%. Or I just said 1,000. 1,000% agree. No question. It's going to be fun, though. Um, yeah, I'll, t- I'll, I'll tell you. And, and I think there's two, two coaching jobs left. Washington, which a ton of to- sources are saying uh, that behind closed doors, it's going to be Ben Johnson uh, from the Detroit Lions, which if if true, then thoughts and prayers for Eagles, Cowboys, and Giants fans. Because this guy is a freaking genius. Now, Folks are like, hey, well, we've seen geniuses not work as head coaches in the past. But because, I, I think this matters, because he f- comes from the Dan Campbell umbrella and coaching tree, and it, they ain't nobody gets guys right, more ready to play than Dan Campbell. Listen, that, I'm not saying he's going to be doing press conferences talking about, uh, you know, taking vital organs away from his opponent, but nonetheless... He's around, listen, being around a guy who who knows how to do certain things or being around any individual, man, woman, knows how to do certain things, it rubs off on you. And so I assume Ben Johnson, that'll be a great asset for him as well. Uh, But right now, the Washington job is still currently available. And which one am I missing? There's another job currently available right now that I am just not uh, seeing. Seattle, 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 Washington. So two NFC teams are the only two jobs left. So Ben Johnson is almost, I would be beyond shocked if he doesn't get the Washington job. And that leaves Seattle. So is it Mike Vrabel? I mean, it, listen, come on. Mike Vrabel, Dan Quinn. You're telling me the Seahawks are going to choose Dan Quinn just because of being loyal to a, to, to a former Pete Carroll assistant. I mean, they were so loyal to Pete Carroll, they just fired him. I mean, it wasn't some discussion, mutually agreed to part ways. No, they straight up fired him. Demoted him, really, to, to just a, a team consultant. So it feels like Pete Carroll, my guess is Vrabel gets the Seahawks job. I, I, don't have that, I don't have that source, but that's my guess. And then that'll leave Carroll, Slovis in Houston. These are notable candidates. McDonald with the Ravens, Eric Bieniemy. Uh That'll leave those guys with an opportunity to get a job next year. So that's where we're at right now. Ben Johnson probably gets the... Probably gets that job. Uh, oh, that's funny. I, I did see that, Patrick. On a brighter note, Eagles possibly interviewing Kelly Moore. Nikki Smirky <laughs> trying to get fired middle of the season. I should have been fired after the season. Uh, they did hire Vic Fangio to be the new defensive coordinator. I'll tell you this. Eagles fixed their defense the other day. Like, Thanks for bringing that up, Patrick. Eagles fixed their defense the other day by bringing in Vic Fangio. This guy is one of the most respected defensive coaches around football. He really turned around that Dolphins defense. I get they kind of struggled at the end of the year. All their key guys were out. Bradley Chubb was out. Xavier Howard. Uh, listen, uh, Jalen Ramsey didn't play until like midseason. They were dealing with a lot of injuries. And frankly, the personnel simply isn't what it is in Philly. Like the Eagles, especially the Eagles front seven, or not really front seven, linebackers are atrocious. Front four? And the depth of that front four? Oh, it's top three in the league. Top three in the league. So, and especially we know Vic Fangio loves to blitz. So that I, listen, Eagles just fixed their defense. So props to him in that regard. That said, my thoughts and prayers for Jalen Hurts. My gosh. If they bring in Kellen Moore. Hey, listen, Kellen Moore is what's a good analogy? Like the coach that keeps getting a job. You're like, how in God's name is this guy? What do people see in him that oh, I seem like I'm thinking of a coach that 
Not Doc Rivers. Like I'm talking about like coordinators. It's not coming to mind right now. But Kellum was below average in Dallas. Awful with the Chargers. By the way, with Dak Prescott and Justin Herbert, both of which I believe to be better than Jalen. Now, I believe in Jalen Hurts way more than others do. A lot of people are selling their stock. I'm going to, you know, buy or not buy stock, keep my stock in Jalen. Uh, bought it after last year's Super Bowl. Love what I saw. I'm not, I'm not selling my stock in Jalen Hurts. I still think he's a special player. That said, oh, man. I just hate it for his sake. I hate the Eagles. Hate him with a passion. But I hate it for Jalen Hurts' sake if he plays average to below average next year and everybody's going to be blaming him. It's like, guys, Herbert had his worst year with Kellen Moore. Dak had his worst year with Kellen Moore. I mean, what are we doing? It's, oh, Lord. I mean, let's see Let's see what Justin Herbert does with Jim Harbaugh now, okay? Let's, let's see how that works. It's going to be a freaking home run. That won't be as good as Kansas City, but it's going to be a home run. Okay, uh, speaking of the Dallas Cowboys, uh, you know, I'll tell you, they never... I always get very... I kind of look at some... And I used to be a Cowboys fan, full disclosure, before I dipped because of Jerry um, in 2020. I kind of look at some... Not most Cowboys fans don't do this. I look at some Cowboys fans a little side-eyed when they... Not when they brag about being America's team, but when they brag about being the most popular team or they get more ratings than anybody else. I'm like, is that really what you care about? Like, is that, I mean, it's nice, uh, you know, it's cool. I mean, I, you know, my guess is the Lions ratings weren't off the charts this year. They were on more national televised games than usual, so they were up more than usual, but I don't think anybody was just locked into Detroit every week the way we are Dallas or Kansas City or Baltimore or San Francisco. The Lions don't care about that. Um, but the the drama, the reality show that is the Cowboy Dallas Cowboys, it uh it never never ceases to amaze me, and it never ceases to disappoint the uh, you know to continue to, to to flow into conversation. But Dallas, you got a problem yet again. How about them Cowboys? Yeah! So we got some infighting <laughs> within. <laughs> families uh, of really the three best players on the team. Uh, Dak Prescott, CeeDee Lamb, and, and, and Micah Parsons. Certainly the three most important players. All due respect to Zach Martin and, and Ty Smith. Really the three key players for that Cowboys team. So, where to begin? So it really starts with, it really, it really starts with CeeDee Lamb's mother. Uh, her name is Lita, Leta, Lita Ramirez. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Uh... But she, during the wild card loss to the Packers, uh, again, she, C. Lamb's uh, mother, was not terribly pleased, we'll put it that way, with Dak Prescott. Uh, she put on Facebook, I didn't know people still use Facebook, but she went on Facebook and she put in all caps, Dak isn't it. And then later, <laughs> she said, this is according to Cowboys Country, I think they're an affiliate of Sports Illustrated. She said, quote, they need to get rid of his ass. She wrote before accusing Prescott of not wanting a ring, saying that other Cowboys players work hard for a ring and her son, quote, deserves better. A Texans fan responded to her and was like, hey, man, CeeDee Lamb, you can bring him, his contract's almost up and pretty soon, like, bring him to Houston. And she said, quote, I wish he would, CJ is great. So just like ripping Dak Prescott to shreds, to which I think in response, not directly to her, but I think in a um, 
in an indirect way, sort of responded to her, but responded to other, a lot of other people. Tad Prescott tweets, and I see this, I'm like, thank you, I've been saying this. Uh, Tad Prescott, Dak's older brother, says, quote, Cowboys fans who continue to DM me, in all caps, trust me, if I could get Dak to leave Dallas, I would. And he would go on to say, uh, the city and organization have been great to he and our family, but done with drama and the so-called fans, but he loves his team and wants to bring it rings. So basically he's saying, Dak wants to stay here, which to me is translation for Dak's going to get the extension this offseason. Dak wants to stay here. I really don't. You know, the, the drama that comes with being the Cowboys quarterback is 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 terrible, and it's, 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 it's nonsense, not just for Dak, but for anybody. And uh, so you have that. Micah Parsons' brother would go on to say, if we have this here, uh, Micah Parsons' brother, uh, Terrence Parsons, said, do we have this? Uh, yeah, he says that, do we have it? Okay, yeah, uh, Terrence, and Par- uh, Terrence Parsons talked about how the organization is committing crimes against Micah, which, okay, uh, and he went on to say, yeah, that's that's what he said. He, he said the organization is committing crimes uh, against against his brother, which I'm like, uh, why? By the you know the fact that you know he, he can't get pressure late in the season. Anyways, so you have that component. You have all this infighting, and those who watch car who've watched carving up live know enough uh, live long enough know that I'm about as big of a Dak Prescott fan as is humanly possible. I've got, I'm not even a Cowboys fan. Used to be, but I'm even a Cowboys fan. Got this little bobblehead, little mini Dak, okay? So I got this only bobblehead I own. And when I left the Cowboys fan base in 2020, I s- said today, and I, I said then, I, I say today, and, and moving forward, I'm still going to pull for Dak. So that means, by definition, I still have to pull for the Cowboys to win games. So I'm still going to stick with Dak. There's a lot of reasons I'm a Dak fan. I'll, I'll get more on that later. I don't have time today. So you guys are probably like, ah, He's going to come on. He's going to defend his guy. He's going to defend Dak. He's going to not take shots at CeeDee Lamb's mom. He don't take shots at anybody's mom. But, you know, he's going to say his, his mom, CeeDee Lamb's mom is wrong and go after CeeDee Lamb and go after Terrence Parsons and Mike. He's going to go after everybody. Nope. Not going after any of them. Not going after CeeDee Lamb's mom, CeeDee, Micah, Tad Prescott, Dak Prescott, Terrence Parsons. None of them. You know what I am going after? Same guy I've been going after for years, Jerry Jones. That's his culture. If you're a free agent wanting to, to test the waters, you're, you're thinking about Dallas, you want that? Now, that's not to say that family members of professional athletes posting on social media isn't common. Matter of fact, it's very common. Whether it's athletes, uh, spouses, brothers, sisters, parents, cousins, Homeboys, homegirls, whoever. People associate with that. That's extremely common. Uh, you know, I, I see that. You know, I, I, I see Tab Prescott posting a lot, supporting his brother, blah, blah, blah. It's very common. I'll never forget Draymond Green during the 2022 finals at one point said, was literally calling out her son saying, man, he's playing like trash right now. It's very common. But in terms of the infighting that I've met, listen, maybe there's just a microscope on Dallas more than other teams. I've never seen this before. I, I I have not seen family members of those these three players. I'm sure maybe other players. Who knows? But it's it's odd that it's the most the three most important players. That it seems like they're taking passive aggressive. Ceedee Lamb's mom is it, but just passive aggressive shots at other players at the franchise. 
I mean, CD, Dak and CD's family take a shot at the franchise. CD's family takes a shot at Dak. It's like, what is going on? That's the culture that Jerry's created. What does that mean, you ask? It means it is a culture that is not keen and, does, and where accountability is irrelevant. Blame somebody else. Go to Jerry, blame the coach. Go to the coach, blame the teammate. Go to the family member who blames a teammate or blames the organization. That's the Dallas Cowboys. And that's why I made the one of the biggest mistakes of my life. Not as big a mistake as me picking the Broncos to win the Super Bowl last season, which was the worst pick I've ever made in my entire life. This the, the picking the Cowboys to go to the Super Bowl this year isn't as bad, but it's it's I guess my brain shut off at the time, and I guess all season long trying to convince myself the pick was going to come true, that somehow, some way that the culture that is festered and grown and gotten worse with the Cowboys over the last almost three decades was all of a sudden not going to matter because Dak carried them out. And that was my prediction that Dak and CD Lamb would have this great connection, which by the way, they did, and that they would somehow carry with the great performance from the defense them to the Super Bowl. And I overestimated Dak, which for the record, I think, I think, he, I think Mahomes and Burrow would be hard pressed to win a Super Bowl in Dallas. I think it's that difficult. Uh, Tony Rome was a darn good quarterback and couldn't win there. Couldn't get to the NFC Championship there. Same with Dak. Um, that's the culture. But hey, you know, Jerry, we are talking about your team. Wait, they're, they're they're still relevant. The Cowboys will never be irrelevant. Never. I mean, we're always gonna we're gonna watch the Jerry press conferences and neck in 2024. Second verse, same as the first, or say, same as the, or I should say, 29th verse, same as the first. We're going to react to Jerry's sound bites. Dallas, well, like other teams, in fairness, but Dallas going to lose the game, a game they shouldn't. Everybody's going to come for Dak's neck, fire McCarthy. You know, uh, Micah Parsons is going to disappear at the end of the season, and they're going to they have a bad draft, a bad offseason. Why on earth should I think it's going to be any different than, which is which is why it's on me for picking Dallas to go to the Super Bowl this year and what represent the NFC. Uh, that, that's on me. Now, in fairness, I did pick Kansas City to win the AFC in the Super Bowl, but, you know, still, it's a bad pick. But I, I listen, I don't, listen, I don't play, listen, I disagree with CD's mom adamantly that Dak doesn't want to win a ring or doesn't work hard. I obviously adamantly disagree with that. Listen, she's taking up for her son. I don't, I don't, I don't fault anybody. To me, like if, if she had crossed the line and called Dak some you know, something vulgar and called him names, I mean, she took shots at him, which I don't like at all as a Dak guy. But same time, she has a right to defend her son. It's her, it's her son. She's gonna take his side as, as any good parent or family member would. Uh, just like Dak, Tad's taking his brother's side, and Terrence is taking his brother's side. It's, I have no issue with that whatsoever. Don't don't necessarily agree with all of it, but I, I get it. I, I do it with 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 my siblings or my parents or whoever. That's that's just part of uh, being loyal and being there. But at the same time, you know, you hearing this in San Francisco or I mean, the Niners have lost to the playoffs year in and year out, and there's been quarterback issues. Listen, Jimmy Garoppolo was limited. I didn't hear any Niners family members going after Jimmy G. And Dak's way better than Jimmy G. I think even Dak skeptics would agree with that. You don't see this in other organizations, but you see. Oh, sorry, you see it in the in the poorly run organizations. And that, my friends, is Dallas, and that has been part of my defense of Dak all this time. Is that 
Name me. I actually talked about this a couple weeks before the playoffs when I still believe Dak and the Cowboys were going to go to the Super Bowl. I don't think we recognize, <clears throat> excuse me, how hard Dak shot. And this isn't unique to Dak. This is unique This is unique to whoever the Cowboys quarterback is. It's not a Dak thing. It's a Cowboys quarterback thing. How difficult that job is. I'm not talking about scrutiny from the media. Other quarterbacks get, Brock Purdy gets scrutiny. Lamar Jackson gets it. Mahomes got it from time to time this season. Listen, every quarterback in the NFC title game, lesser with Mahomes, but definitely the other three, have gotten an intense level of scrutiny and criticism and doubt and hate to a certain extent. That's common. I'm not talking about that. That's not unique to Dallas. What is unique to Dallas, the fact the owner does not want to win unless he gets the credit for it. It's that simple. And what can I tell you the painful irony? Jerry would get the credit if Dallas won the Super Bowl. He would. We give, we give Robert Kraft for the Patriots credit for the Patriots. We have Clark Hunt credit. With, we give Mahomes and Reed and Kelsey and everybody more credit. But Clark Hunt, it's less neat as, uh, as well with the uh, – or not less neat. Less neat is L.A. Um, his name of the GM in it with the Chiefs is not coming to mind right off the bat. But owner does get credit. Stan Kroenke with the Rams. He gets credit. I, I, I'm the biggest Stan Kroenke fan ever. Joe Lake up in Golden State with my Warriors. Well, that feels like a long time ago now <laughs> uh, with those championships. But he got credit. The owner will get credit, but Jerry wants the majority of the credit because he's an egomaniac, and it seems like I'm one of the few people willing to say that behind a mic, but whatever. Patrick Brown, the comment, selfish culture stems from Jerry Jones. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. A la lack of accountability culture stems from Jerry Jones. That's what it is. Uh, by the way, apparently Jim Harbaugh's press conference, introductory press conference, is going to be uh, six days from now on Thursday, February 1st at 1 p.m. Pacific. That's according to Schefter. So should be interesting to watch. I'll definitely tune in, see what's up. And listen, Jim is – and what I could see happening is is Jim is – Jim's a different guy. Jim's a different cat. Jim is obsessed, obsessed with football. And I could see there being some criticism around him, like, ah, oh, is he really up for this job? Uh, Listen, we do it with Dan Campbell. How's that worked out? Now, in fairness, we've seen coaches have great opening press conferences and bad ones, and that doesn't always, it isn't always an indicator with how well you do. But uh, shout out to Jim Harbaugh. It was a phenomenal hire. That that story broke during our show. Mike Guido in the comments was the first one to, to let me know about it. And then I looked, and there you go. Sure, sure enough, it's true. Uh, Jim Harbaugh becoming the head coach of the Chargers. LA got the LA to me was the best job in the market, and they got the best coach in the market. So it kind of works. It kind of makes sense. Okay, so there's a lot of narratives. I'm going to predict the conference title games in about 10 minutes. There's a lot of narratives, as is always the case, uh, regarding the teams, the coaches, the quarterbacks, the rosters coming into a conference championship weekend. And with all of these teams, can Lamar break through and get to the Super Bowl? Can he lead the Ravens, the best team in the league, I, I believe? Uh, second best roster to me to San Francisco. Can he lead them through the giant, the dynasty, the the... The, the the one of the greatest quarterbacks ever, Mahomes and the Chiefs. Can he get through that and get to his first Super Bowl and very well solidify himself in my estimation as he might listen. If he wins, I'm a Burrow guy, but man, you're going to have to start having some hard conversations because Lamar would have a ring, two MVPs. Burrow has neither. I mean, you have to start having some serious questions about that. Yeah, that with San Francisco, can they win with Brock Purdy? I'm, I'm, I'm sort of the in-between on Brock Purdy. I've said that for months that I loved him initially, 
when he replaced Jimmy G in that Dolphins game, came in against Tampa Bay his first start, played amazing, played great throughout that 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 run. Got into the NFC title game before he got hurt. They started 5-0. and He put a hammering on my Steelers in week one. Then they put another hammering on the Cowboys in week five, and he's putting up ridiculous numbers, making all these plays. I'm like, hey, this kid might be better than I thought. But then the three-game losing streak, I think, exposed kind of who he is. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Is that he has to kind of play from, uh, from ahead. Uh, he does need to play under structure. He's not a guy who can just make it happen on the fly, which there's nothing wrong with that. I think... Clearly, he can win a lot of games with Purdy. He's, what, 20-5 and five as a starter? You can win a lot of games with him, and he's way better than Jimmy G. The coaching uh, would show you that. Can the Niners win with him? That's a narrative, too. Kansas City, uh, defending champs, not close to as good on offense as they were last year, but the defense is way better than it was a year ago. They're not as good as Baltimore, but it's like, God, it's, it's Mahomes, Reed, Kelsey's one of the greatest playoff performers ever. That defense like, man, if they can win a Super Bowl this year, when are you ever going to get them? It's one of those. It's That's the narrative with Kansas City. Then there's Detroit, who there's been the least amount of coverage, attention, and eyeballs on this team by far than any of the four. Now, yeah, as bad, like I talked about earlier with my horrible take of the Cowboys getting to the Super Bowl, equally as great, compare bad to great, equally as great was my prediction that the Lions were going to get to the NFC title game before the season. Matter of fact, just for last time, since they are going to be playing the NFC title game in two days, just for the fun of it, this is uh, just evidence that I did pick Detroit. So nobody else did. Everybody's like, ah, oh, the Lions will be good. They'll be fine. I'm like, no, no, no. They'll be a win away from the Super Bowl minimum. Here you go. Hold up. And there's one team in particular it's going to surprise you, but I think are a good draft away from not just being playoff contenders, but I think I'm talking legit Super Bowl lift the Lombardi Trophy. Super Bowl contenders. The Detroit Lions. Hold up. Heard me say at the beginning, I feel like if Detroit puts together a good draft, kind of like the Seahawks and the Jets did last year, and like the heck, like the Seahawks are doing this year, man, they could be contenders in that NFC. As crazy as the NFC is, as all over the place as it is, I'm dead serious when I say, who's to say the Detroit Lions could not be in the NFC championship game? I'm dead serious. Hold up. Detroit's going to the NFC Championship game. That will be your matchup, Ryan Flowers. Detroit. Wow. I have, listen, I have been saying for months, and I will stick with it, the Detroit Lions will play in the NFC title game. Been saying that since the draft. I'm going to stick to it and be held to it just for old time's sake. Just, just uh, you know, as the, the kids today talk about keeping the receipts. Just keeping them receipts. That's, that's one of my proudest. That is in my top three. Just pat myself on the back just, 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 just a little bit. Listen, I talk about my bad takes. I can talk about my good ones, too. Second best pick ever was picking the Warriors, my Warriors, before the 2021-22 season that they were going to win the championship. They did. And even above that is me picking Tampa Bay, Kansas City. Tampa Bay to beat Kansas City in the Super Bowl before the season started. You can look it up. September like 10th, I guess. Uh, my opening show season in 2020, the COVID year, I said Tampa's going to beat Kansas City in the Super Bowl, and that's exactly what I have. That's my greatest take. I don't know if it'll ever be surpassed. This one is in the top three. But the narrative surrounding Detroit, there's a lot of them. Some of them true, some of them is up for interpretation. Remains to be seen. Is this defense good? Well, they're very they're bad against the pass. I think they were 30th in the NFL against the pass. That's a that's an issue. Uh, Mike Evans torched my man out of Tennessee. Go Vols. Cam Sutton last week. 
They struggled in the secondary all year, but their pass rush is really good. Aiden Hutchinson, they got a good linebacker, Alex Anzalone. Like they got some, they got some dudes on that side in the front four or front seven. Definitely in the front four. Dan Campbell, you know, situationally, can be a bit over aggressive. Well, hasn't hurt him to this point. He's been really good on fourth down, been really good situationally on both sides of the ball. Can this Detroit offense, as great as it was the regular season, can it maintain the playoffs? Well, they did score 24, which is pretty good against that Rams defense in the wild card round, and then against a very good and talented and experienced Buccaneers defense, hung 31 on them. They're obviously not going to have any harder task all season long than what they've got ahead of them. Well, maybe the Baltimore game, but in terms of significance, then they'll have this week against the Niners. I'll predict that game along with the Chiefs-Ravens game in, in about five minutes. If the Lions win this game, we are going to have to. Because, listen, when new data, when new evidence presents itself, we got to adjust our opinion. There's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, it's an emotionally mature thing to do. We're going to have to, or at least those of us that have been skeptical about Jared Goff in the past, and I have been that. I've bought more into him this year. It's part of why I picked them to get to the NFC title game. We're going to have to change our opinion about Jared Goff. We just are. Because he was in L.A. He had one of the worst rookie seasons I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I remember I remember vividly the Rams that year. I remember watching them play. This They had just fired Jeff Fisher. I, I, don't know, I think they'd fired Jeff Fisher by that point. Goff's rookie year. They played the Seahawks. And I remember it vividly because it's hard to forget those ugly-looking Seahawks color rush jerseys. I freaking hate those. Hate them. Hate them. They're awful. But they played that game. I remember watching Jared Goff. I'm like, God, he is horrible. Like, who is this dude? This guy was the first pick of the draft. This guy should have been the last. Should have been Mr. Relevant, Brock Purdy. The heck? Who's this guy? What's he doing on an NFL field? Then they bring in McVay. Then they bring in Andrew Whitworth. Then they make some deals in free agency. They draft well. It's like, dang, this guy's pretty good. But we give the credit to McVay. Why? Because Goff was horrible his rookie year. And then Goff has a down 20. They got to the Super Bowl in, in uh, 2018. Down 2019, missed the playoffs. Down 2020, made the playoffs. But Goff kind of had an up and down season. There was a moment reportedly when they lost to the 49ers when the Niners were playing one of their backup quarterbacks that McVay absolutely lit into Jared Goff. And that was kind of the, it kind of fractured the relationship. And Goff was traded for Stafford. Of course, the Rams go on to win a Super Bowl. And we're like, yep. Jared Goff was the weak link. He was the issue with the Rams that held them back from winning at all because, hey, plug Stafford in with a few other pieces, they won the Super Bowl. They helped hoist the Lombardi Trophy. Meanwhile, Goff is the quarterback for a three-win team. But then they triple their win count to nine and almost make the playoffs, and Goff has a very good year. Then this year, he's 30 touchdown passes. They're the three-seed in the conference, and they're a win away from the Super Bowl. If Goff wins this game, gets to another Super Bowl with the second team, we're going to have to change our opinion. At that point, I don't even think it's going to be debatable. He's absolutely a top 10 quarterback. If not, maybe a top eight quarterback, if we're being honest. I mean, who? let's just play hypotheticals for a moment. And I hate doing that, but let's play hypothetical. The quarterbacks, all of us generally agree, are absolutely above golf. So you got Mahomes, Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, those four for sure. Uh, then I think we start having conversations. You're, you know, to my Dak, Jalen Hurts. Herbert, who am I missing? I put him above Aaron Rodgers. Some others might not, but there's a discussion there. Uh, just quarterbacks off the top of my head. He's better than Baker, and Baker had a great year. He's I've really bought into Baker. He's better than Purdy. Maybe others would argue otherwise. Listen, I'm not suggesting Goff is top five. I'm not, but he wins this game, and even better for Detroit. If he wins the Super Bowl, that'll mean he'd been to two Super Bowls, two different franchises. By the way, inherited a crap franchise. 
And a ton of credit does and should go to Dan Campbell with how he's changed that culture. But Goff deserves love too. He, he's he, somebody. Those great receivers, Jamison Williams, Josh Reynolds, Amon Ross St. Brown, Sam Laporta, somebody's got to get them the football accurately on time. A lot of the credit too goes to Brad Holmes, the GM, for putting that amazing offensive line in front of Goff because we know, we saw it in LA, we've seen it at times this year with Detroit, especially when they played the Ravens, that Goff with a, a pocket that isn't clean struggles. He's a pocket guy. He's kind of the last of a dying breed to a certain extent. But I just I think it's when new information presents itself, we have to change our opinions. Uh, you know, it, it's like uh, excuse me, I moved my camera there a little bit. It's kind of like the the three point shot in the NBA. Used to teams took like like fifteen threes a game. Then Steph Curry happens, changes the entire math of basketball. You gotta change. You know, the Warriors were like five steps ahead of the rest of the league, and they went 73. They won a championship, went 73 and nine. Then when they got KD, it was almost, it not one almost unfair, it was unfair. But then the league catches up. They adjust. It's like what I always say about analytics. What do I always say? You have to use them because you are doing yourself an organizational and, and strategical disservice if you don't use them. But don't allow them to make every single decision for you. Math and numbers can't make every decision for you. Sometimes there's got to be a human connection, eye to eye. What are we doing uh, and sensing the moment? But the analytics had to change for these teams. They had to. That's probably why San Antonio was kind of left in the dust because Popovich didn't adjust to the three-point shot. Or the emphasis of it, rather. Jared Goff goes, gets the, the, the Lions to the Super Bowl? We should give Dan Campbell and Ben Johnson and Brad Holmes and that roster credit. That's two Super Bowl appearances with two different franchises, both of which were dead, dead when he took over. I'm just saying. Gotta start giving Jared Goff his love and respect. And I was a Jared Goff skeptic. When they made this trade, the Rams and the Lions, I'm like, it's a great trade. And I was a Stafford skeptic too, not as much as I was Goff, but I was like, man, St Stafford's bigger arm, more mobile than Jared Goff. I'm like, this, this is going to work great. I didn't think they'd win the Super Bowl, but I knew it, it worked you know, very successfully. Shout out to Jared Goff, man. It's, there's nothing like when an athlete proves, proves doubters wrong. Uh, by the way, it looks like we've got some... Can we, can, can we do the breaking news? I, I, yeah, I guess it's, it's breaking news. We could we put it up there. Uh, okay, no surprise here. So according to Adam Schefter, uh, Michigan has hired uh, Sharon, Moore, Sharon Moore as the new head coach of the program to replace Jim Harbaugh. Uh, now... He, he took over, he coached for four games this past season when Harbaugh was suspended toward the end of the year, and or beginning of the season and toward the end of the year. He was their interim head coach, went 4-0, and so he's their new guy. So, listen, Michigan was in a tough spot because the hiring process was pretty much over. Bama had, listen, Bama, or Saban retired like almost immediately after the playoff, about a week or so after, half week or so after the playoff. And so, but he had time, they had time. Kalen DeBoer was still available I would have liked to see. I talked about it on Wednesday show. I would have liked to uh, have seen um, Kelly from from LSU. I would have liked to have seen it. Uh, Brian Kelly, um, Sark was going to stay at Texas. Dabo was going to stay at Clemson. I'm not even a, a big Dabo guy. I think that would have been a massive down. Anything from Jim is going to be a downgrade, but Dabo would be even worse because he doesn't believe in the transfer portal or NIL. At that point, you're kind of running out of options. Especially guys, we're almost in February. Like they they had to do something. And listen, this is their most trusted assistant. Props to him. And the, the, the t players play hard for him. And so I think this is going to work. Uh, not as well as, listen, they're not going to be as good as years past because Jim Harbaugh is, I think, one of the five best football coaches on earth. Maybe three because he's successful in college and pro, and that's very rare. 
but nonetheless, a good hire given the circumstances by Michigan. Okay. Well, it's down to four. It's final four of the National Football League playoffs, National Football League season. The defending champs, Chiefs, followed by the Ravens, Lions, and, uh, and the 49ers. So let's just get our background music, our intense background music on. Here we go. NFC, We'll start with my upset of the week. Give me the Kansas City Chiefs over the Baltimore Ravens, 23-20. Kansas City gets the upset. Baltimore's a four-point favorite at home. It was at three, three and a half. It's gone up to four. So Vegas, the Sharps, they love Baltimore. I'm all over Kansas City, not just end the points, but to win straight up. Kansas City upset of the week, and here is why. So listen, the Chiefs have been the version of, a version of, rather, of Brady's Patriots. I've said that for about a month. I remember doing a show. They had just beaten the Patriots uh, the day before. And it's like I was watching that game. Kansas City had a decent role offensively. They're playing well defensively as they have all season. And it's just, it, like, it just hit me. Like, maybe it's because they were playing the Patriots. Maybe I needed to see that visual to be like, light bulb. Oh, my goodness. This is literally one of Tom's Patriot teams where all-time great quarterback, Great coach who specializes on a certain side of the ball as well as anybody in the league. Great tight end who's kind of moving out of his prime, Kelsey Gronk. And a great defense with average at best on a good day wide receivers. That was Brady's Patriots teams. That's Mahomes' Chiefs teams. So, is it any shock to me they beat Miami, the worst cold weather team in football with the worst weather, worst bad weather quarterback in football? At home in Kansas City is awesome in cold weather. Didn't shot me at all. I'm surprised the score went higher. Then the next week when everybody's proclaiming Josh Allen's on Mahomes level. Uh, you know, yeah, in Madden, if you like adjusted their overalls, he is. He might be better. Uh, not in real life where they actually play the games. And the Bills, who had had a, a nice little five, six game winning streak, despite you know, the fact they've had a questionable playoff history against Kansas City, now 0-3. So no, I was not surprised at all that the Chiefs knocked off the Bills, but this will be their hardest challenge yet. Baltimore, who I believe is the best team in football, I've, I've said that at points this season, and I've maintained it since uh, they they uh, they beat the 49ers, shellacked the 49ers on Christmas night in, in San Francisco, that, listen, it's the best defense of football where you've got the, the number one scoring defense uh, in the league, the number one sack defense and turnover defense. But Kansas City is not far behind. I believe they're second in scoring defense and like top six I think in sacks or maybe it's reverse of the two but nonetheless Kansas City's got a dark it's not as good as Baltimore's but is it good enough to cause Lamar Jackson some problems you look at Lamar's numbers in years past and he's a different player now than years past but he struggled against the Chiefs completion percentage not good I think it's in like the high 50s like it's not so he hasn't played terribly well Baltimore this is this to me for the Ravens is I feel like if they win this game, it's going to be almost impossible to not pick them to win the Super Bowl. Because it's like, they got rid of the playoff demons by beating Houston badly. If they slay the dragon of Kansas City, the dynasty, I mean, they'll have all the momentum in the world going to the Super Bowl in Vegas against either the Niners or the Lions. That said, and I hope people don't hold this, this against Lamar. Better quarterbacks on the field is going to going to be wearing a red helmet and a white jersey. His name is Patrick Mahomes. They have the best quarterback in this game the Chiefs do. They have the best coach in this game. And they have 
close to the defense that Baltimore has. So that said, I'm riding with my Super Bowl pick, and I ride with Dynasties. Listen, I'm a Warriors fan. I have an affinity for Dynasties. Yes, I have an affinity for a villain and for dominance. This is what every sport needs. This is what's hurting baseball in the NBA. There's no villain. There's nobody to root against. Now it's Kansas City. I love villains. Once again, give me the Chiefs, 23-20 to 20 over the Baltimore Ravens in my upset of the week. It is now time for my favorite segment every week, and it will be returning for the Super Bowl, by the way. Uh, maybe we'll merge if I think there's going to be an upset or whatever. We can merge the segment. But this segment will be back next week. It's my favorite segment on Carving Up Live every week. It is simply called, If I Were a Batman, I'm taking a good hard look at this Lions and Niners game. Now, the Niners, San Francisco 49ers are favored by about a touchdown, by seven, minus seven. Now, I've kind of spoiled my pick in this regard. Not my pick to who's going to win the game. That's what I'll get into. But in terms of the what, where the side is, it's not San Francisco minus seven. It's simply not. Detroit's roster, I, San Francisco to me has the best roster in football. I did a list yesterday, or Wednesday show, with my top ten players left in the playoffs. And I think I had like four or five 49ers. I mean, I had McCaffrey, Trent Williams. I had Fred Warner. And I had Debo Samuels. So I had four. I had four of the 10 were 49ers. And then I had two Ravens, a couple, no, three Chiefs, and a Lion on that list as well. Uh, that math isn't, yeah, that math adds up. Yeah, six. So best roster in the league. But we can act like Detroit's as far off. The only unit on the 49ers, on the, the Lions, that I think is, or the only unit on the Niners that I think is exceedingly better, absolutely, undoubtedly better than Detroit is linebacker. They got the best linebacker tandem that we've seen in quite some time with Fred Warner and Drake Greenlaw. The secondary for the Niners is better than Detroit, but, I mean, Traverius Ward's really good, but outside of that, Hufunga's been out for the year since midseason. You have some concerns there. You want to shift the offense? Give me Jerry, and I I really like Purdy. Don't y'all Purdy stands don't get on me for this. Jerry Goff's a better quarterback than Brock Purdy. He just is. Uh, wide receivers. It's close. I mean, it's I'm gonna call that a draw because you got Ayuk Debo, who by the way is going to play. That's worth mentioning. A couple hours ago, uh, Kyle Shanahan said Debo Samuel is going to suit up for the 49ers. You got Debo Ayuk, Jawan Jennings in San Francisco, and then in Detroit you got Jamison Williams. You got Amon Ross St. Brown, who's the most underrated receiver in the league, in my view, and Josh Reynolds. It's kind of a draw. Tight end. Niners are better, but have you seen this kid, Sam Laporta, who, according to Dan Campbell, is going to play this game? You seen that guy? What he's capable of doing when he gets the football in his hands and separating? To me, he's the next Travis Kelsey in many ways. So tight end. Advantage San Francisco, but it's close. Running back, San Francisco definitely with McCaffrey, but when you got Jim, excuse me, you got Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery. That's a problem, too, for that Niners secondary. That Niners front seven to be able to contain the run and the pass with Gibbs, especially. Defensively, going to give the edge to the Niners by a healthy margin, but Detroit's is no slash with Hutchinson. Special teams, I'd probably give the edge to Detroit because I don't trust Jake Moody. If the game comes down to a Jake Moody game-winning field goal, my guess is he's going to miss it. So that said, Lions pump plus seven. A, a thousand percent. I'd say this if they were playing the regular season. This would be my if I were a Batman game almost regardless uh, of potential other matchups. We have to see, obviously. But Lions plus seven is the best, is the side. Now, as far as who actually wins the game, that's what we all care about at the end of the day. Um, there are external... I don't want to say external factors. There are factors in this game that I think kind of needed to work Detroit's way that don't. 
So a factor that helped the Packers last week is A, Devo Samuel went out almost immediately, and the weather was kind of nasty. And because Green Bay, I wouldn't say has a better quarterback, but a similar quarterback, although more talented in terms of arm strength, uh, and, and be able to grip the football, Jordan Love, and they were able to run the football uh, exceptionally well with Aaron Jones, they were able to, to kind of to kind of uh, thrive and flourish in, in those conditions. You have that component. It's going to be nice. It's going to be about 48, 50 degrees, something like that in San Francisco in the Bay Area. So advantage Niners there. Advantage Niners in the sense that it's outdoors on grass. I think it's I think the Niners field looks like grass. Lions are used to playing their home games indoors on turf, which plays to, it's kind of like Dallas, two great home teams. It plays to the to the strengths of a young, explosive uh, football team on both sides of the ball. So again, advantage 49ers. Jared Goff, as great as his offensive line is, they will have no harder test than this season uh, This season in terms of their defensive line against that Niners front with Bosa, Armstead, uh, with, with Chase Young. They got some dudes on that Niners defensive line. And we know Goff, under pressure, struggles. So with that said, Detroit... It has been a pleasure. I genuinely mean that. Lions fans have been... I've interacted with them on social media, YouTube. They have been amazing. It's one of the best... I've, I've learned one of the best fan bases in sports. Love Lions fans, Detroit fans in general. And I have been loyal to you. I have maintained all year that you be in this game. From April of last year, I said you be in this game. And doggone it, you are. As much as I want you guys to win, I'll be pulling for y'all. San Francisco's just the better team, and in terms of health, in terms of the weather, it goes their way. So that said, give me the San Francisco 49ers. They're not going to cover seven too many points. I'm sorry, too many points. The Lions are too good for that. But the Niners win this game 27-22 to over the Detroit Lions, which means we will have a rematch of Super Bowl 54. It'll be the San Francisco 49ers out of the NFC and the defending champion Kansas City Chiefs out of the AFC looking to defend their Super Bowl crown and become the first team since the 04 Patriots to win back-to-back Super Bowls. Once again, once again, look at our scores. Upset of the week, Kansas City gets to their fourth Super Bowl in the Mahomes era and their fourth in the last six seasons uh, or fourth, I'm sorry, the fourth and last five seasons, which is insane, by knocking off the Ravens 23-20. to 20. And in my favorite segment of the week, it's called Batman. If I Were a Batman, give me the 49ers to win this game 27-22, but more importantly, for the If I Were a Batman, take the Lions plus seven. That's Listen, if this were four and a half, five, I might make it the bleak bet game. Like, that would be tough. Sevens, sevens Detroit all day, every day. 100%. Very excited, though. I'm telling you, we're going to have a Chiefs 49ers Super Bowl rematch from four years ago in Super Bowl 54. It was a great, it was the first game. It's funny, kind of a full circle moment for me personally. That's the first game I ever, Super Bowl game I ever covered on this show, carving it up because we started on October 21st of 2019. So here we go. The show's evolved so much four and a half years later. And here we go. Chiefs Niners, which is what the matchup I believe that we are going to get. That said, I'm pulling so hard for Detroit. If, if if I'm the guy, if, if this is the first time I'm wrong on the Lions all season long in terms of their overall season outlook, I will be thrilled. I'll be thrilled. Absolutely. It's a great city, awesome fan base, and a darn good football team. Although, unfortunately, they're probably going to lose their offensive coordinator to Washington, but nonetheless, a uh, lot to be proud of. A uh, lot to be proud of, Detroit. No question about that. 
All right, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by. As always, be sure to catch Carving Up Live on Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. And, of course, be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button down there. Helps the channel grow exponentially. We're trying to get to 1,000 1K subscribers by Super Bowl 58. So if you have not subscribed to the show, hey, just takes a couple seconds if you're on YouTube. Down there, subscribe button. Hit it, and you're part of the Carving It Up family. We would greatly, greatly appreciate it. If you have subscribed, thank you so much as well. Your support means, I, honest to God, your support means everything to the show and the success of the show. Please tell everybody to know about it, your friends, your family, everybody, about Carving Up Live. Uh, we would greatly, greatly appreciate it. And just as important, be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, the Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere that you get your favorite podcast. You can find it live on the Grid Network. There you go. Hold up. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Ooh, time out. Normally, I get out of here. I see. I see. We got a comment. Uh, for, for my man Grady. Listen, it's Grady. Most people, I'd say, ah, this is great. Grady's my guy. So I'll answer this. This is, this is a question to get out of here. It's like an icebreaker, okay? Grady, can I ask you a political question real quick? Not your opinion. Assuming Trump and Biden are both the nominees, do you think they'll actually debate each other or can we please avoid that this time? Well, I hope we avoid that. Let's put it that way. Because um, that they debated twice uh, in 2020. That first one was. Ooh. Lord, that was oof. a second one wasn't a whole lot better, but it was at least managed better uh, in terms of the, the debate format and rules. But if I had to guess, Grady, I'd say no. Because if you notice, like Trump hasn't participated, some of it he doesn't have to against the other Republican nominees, uh, Haley, DeSantis, uh, gosh, who else? Chris Christie, Vivek, uh, then before that former Vice President Pence. Um, so my get now, obviously, it's a lot more contested because it's almost assured he's going to get the Republican nomination. That's, that's it's, it's all but a formality at this point, or it is a formality at this point. It's not a formality that he or Biden are going to win in 2024 in the general election in November. So, but here's the thing, though, Grady. I think at this point, Are there that – and I asked this question, not on the show, but to others in 2020. Are there that many undecided voters? Maybe I'm – maybe listen, I'm a political independent. I don't know, man. It feels like if you're on the Trump train, you're on the Biden train, like you're just on that train. Like obviously, they got to try and win independence, but – listen, I love presidential debates. I'm a history and, and, and nerd about this uh, – history nerd and presidential history nerd about this stuff. Listen uh, – I think it'd be good for the – I want to say good for the country if they did. I don't know. I mean it's it's been the history. We've been doing this for, for a very long time, having debates between two candidates. Uh, if the tradition breaks 2024, at least we've had a lot of political traditions broken in the last decade or so. So that's like – there's no surprise there. But uh, my guess is no, Grady. If, if I had to just guess off the top of my head, I would say no, Trump and Biden will probably not debate in – uh, in, I guess, August, September. September is usually when the first debate is and throughout October. So, yeah, a little... Uh, I appreciate you asking the crazy question, Grady. So I'll, I'll ask, if it's sports and it's... If it's politics-related, I'll, I'll answer the question. I will. 
You know, it's, it's, it's a sports show, but I don't, I don't care to venture that into, the, into that realm. Not at all. Uh, but I appreciate everybody. Uh, again, conference championship weekend. I'll see you all on Monday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time, Twitter, and on YouTube. I'll see you then. Stay safe out there. Please be sure to, to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please, please be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. Again, just, you know, answered a, a political question there. To me, this issue is, is, is not political. How we solve it is, but the humanity about actually trying to solve it is what I'm really trying to get at here. Whether you re- lean right, left, in between, uh, we got to address this problem. It, it's, it's unacceptable and it has to end, and I want to bring as much attention to this as I can. And ultimately, it comes down to us, the people, we can vote on these things. I'll see you on Monday. Expect two great games, two close games. Uh, Chiefs by three, Niners by five. That's my prediction. It's going to be Chiefs San Francisco in Super Bowl 58. Stay safe out there. God bless y'all. Peace out. Please don't be mad at me, Detroit, though. I've been with y'all all season. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube, and be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.